takes me a while to figure out where I am after all that complicated afternoon. What's this? A white horse. Thank you. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, um, I I trust that we've had a, a little bit of a, a good time of figuring out um, about the GPS and what's needed in our lives. And I hope you continue to think about it. I forgot to mention to you, and I left it somewhere, to mention earlier that, you know, when we're talking about asking the Lord and praying for his guidance and his will, there's some things that you shouldn't bother praying about. Did you know that? What is it? I thought it was. Did it die? Dawn? It's on. You can go to sleep. <laughs> so, um, what, somebody said yes. What What shouldn't we bother praying about? You are so good. <laughs> yeah, if the Bible forbids some things... Why bother saying, Lord, I need to know if it's your will? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, but I bet you, you've heard how many times somebody's saying to you, I know it probably isn't right, but it feels good and it makes me happy and I deserve to be happy. Isn't that right? God didn't promise you To be happy, he wants you to be holy. That sounds awful, doesn't it? Anyway, it's something to think about. And uh, there's other things. Another thing, you should pray about this, but you need to be obedient to it. There are things in Scripture that he already told us is his will. We didn't even go into all that. That would be another whole session. All the verses that have to do, this is the will of of Christ Jesus concerning you that you should blah, 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 blah. You know, all those verses. And so the idea is don't be asking about what you should do about other things when you aren't even doing what he already told you to do. I always remember, this is a little bit different. I don't ex- expect this applies to any of you, but... Um, at Urbana, you're familiar with that. Elizabeth Elliot, way back, I remember, got up and told the college students, you don't expect the Lord to answer you about what you should be doing. You get out of bed with your boyfriend. And uh, it's true, isn't it? I mean, it's just, if you're living in sin with with the... Uh, things that he he already said in his word he's not going to give you the next enlightenment when you didn't take care of the you know the past so that was just free that was extra so what we want to finish up with tonight is jeremiah is that what we have yes jeremiah 42 
and also going back to Hebrews 11. I think Jeremiah 42 and the surrounding chapters are some of the most depressing chapters in the Bible. How many of you were just really excited and you just thought it was a great read last night? Pardon? Oh, really? You wondered? Oh, my. I guess I really have to talk about it then. <laughs> well, can somebody give me the setting? Who's a good person to, you know, build the setting of what this... It seems very dark in here. Jeremiah 42. It's okay if every... You know, they... It's good for sleep. (laughs) I'd like somebody to at least attempt to tell me what the setting is so I don't have to do the talking. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That's good. I'm glad you're alert and oriented. (laughs) Times three, huh? (laughs) Okay. Anybody? Wow. Yeah, go ahead. What? Yeah, well, that's very true, but who, what, where? Okay, who's it about? About what? Of what? Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Where were the rest of the people from Israel and Judah? That's right. Exile where? Mm-hmm. Babylon. You're, you're getting there. And so these are the kind of the few that survived the sword, the famine, the plague. They didn't get carried off to Babylon and they still were living and they probably wished they weren't. And they were told to, you know, stay and settle down in, in, in Judah. And um, the king of Babylon set up a person to be the governor over them. What was his name? You don't have to know that, but I thought, you know. Trivia. Take a guess. Get a liar. Is that right? And what happened to him? Pardon? Yeah, he got murdered. See, this is a good bedtime story. <laughs> he got murdered. <clears throat> and... um why it's sad is I think if they would, well, we'll get there. I'll tell you that. So the people that were left, Johanan, I don't know how you say it, was it Johanan and his company? They decided to come to the prophet Jeremiah and say, 
why don't you pray to the Lord for us and um, we'll obey what he says, the big liars. I mean, doesn't it, how can they do this? So somebody has a verse, has a couple verses, Jeremiah 42. You want to read that and then maybe that will kind of make people understand. Who has those verses? Oh, they didn't get them yet. Okay, we'll keep that last verse in your mind for later. So the people came to Jeremiah, and, you know, before this time, the Lord said to Jeremiah, I don't want you to pray for the people of Israel. You know, before they were taken off into Babylon and all, he said to Jeremiah, don't pray about them because I'm going to take them off, and there's no sense praying because that's not my plan. But now he gave Jeremiah the permission to pray. And so Jeremiah says, okay, I will pray for you and what the Lord wants. And, you know, they said, we'll obey. And Jeremiah says, okay, but if you, you know, if I tell you what the Lord wants, then, you know, you need to listen. Well, we'll see what happens, huh? So... Uh, you already know the story, don't you? Why were they not? Why were they not supposed to go to is uh, Egypt? I lost my papers. Not that's not why they weren't to go to Egypt. <laughs> okay, and what what is Egypt usually a? a symbolic of pardon yeah yeah it's bondage it's not what the lord wants it's it's yeah it's not the promised land it's the world and they get in trouble down there and they don't follow the lord and but did you ever notice when things were rough whenever things were rough and and the, the the israel or judea the first thing they wanted to do was go to egypt That's something we should think about. You know, when things get rough, we want, I don't want to go to Egypt, but somewhere other than where I am. So, Raymond Edmund, does anybody know that name? You're too young for that. Raymond Edmund was a famous president of Wheaton College. 
And when he was chancellor, he was giving a chapel message. And as he was really trying to impress the students about the importance of living life in light of eternity, he went to eternity. But he he has written some great books, and I like that quote by him that says, life's great issues are settled by options that may seem unimportant, but which in reality constitute great crises. And that's a pretty good description of what we're talking about here. The children of Israel probably thought, what's the big deal? Uh, there's nothing here in Judea. It's It's desolate. It's a mess. We just went through a terrible time. We're going to go to Egypt where everything's wonderful. He says, quite possibly you are standing at a fork in life's pathway and do not know whether you should turn to the right or to the left. Perhaps the decision that must be made today or tomorrow at the latest seems kind of trivial. Nevertheless, you sense that great issues are involved. You may never come again to this same parting of the ways, and life will be different in the tomorrows because of the decision of today. That's what happened with Egypt, or with these children of Israel, wasn't it? Life, because of their decision, was never going to be the same. As a matter of fact, they weren't going to live. You feel the need of wisdom that is higher than your own, of guidance by the one who sees the end from the beginning, of grace that will be sufficient for you and of faithfulness that will not fail. But sometimes we still don't let the Lord make the decision. So one of the first things that we learn from Jeremiah 42 is a willingness to ask God, the guidance of God. Now, they seem to be willing to do that, doesn't it? I mean, that's what they did. They said, you go, Jeremiah, and ask God what we're to do. So there seemed to be a willingness. But did you ever hear of people that say, will you do anything that I ask? And then your next statement is, what is it? Kids do that. You know, do you ever hear hear kids on the playground saying, will you promise to do something for me? And then the kid will say, well, what is it you want me to do? No, I'm not going to do it. And this is how the, this is what happened with the Israelites, right? So we talked about this verse today from James. You know, isn't it great that God really doesn't mind if we ask him? As a matter of fact, he says to us, when you need wisdom, you ask of me, and I will give you a little bit. Is that what he said? No, he says, I will give it to you. In the old King James, it says liberally. What's this say? It will get, He will give it to us in, it doesn't say, does it? Yeah, but it, 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 it means he in a big abundance. He will just lavish it on us. But. And he, oh, and he won't be upset because you ask. You can ask. And he wants you to ask. But the thing is, when you ask, you better be sure 
that you're willing to obey and that you don't doubt what he says. He says, if you have a, uh, one of the translations I think says double minded, you know, that where you think first this way, then you think this way. And those of you that love the beach and the ocean, you know how the waves can just throw you around. And a lot of times when we're making decisions, that's how we feel. We're being thrown around. But if we don't believe that God will really answer and we won't do what he says, that's what we're going to feel like. And so people like that shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord because they can't make up their minds and they keep wavering back and forth. So these are verses we need to keep in mind. So it was a good thing that they were willing to ask God, but then they weren't willing to do the next thing. They weren't willing to wait for God's guidance. They already had made up their mind what they're going to do. We have to wait for his guidance. And that kind of went along with the fourth question today in your groups, you know, where it's said about waiting. What do you learn from waiting? And I have some verses for people to read. I hope you have them. Isaiah thirty eighteen. What's he say about people that wait? And, you know, some people think blessed means, you know, happy are you if you wait. Psalm 37, 7. Are people awake? Somebody has the verses. Pardon? Psalm 30, do I have Proverbs? Psalm 37, 7, nobody has it? Oh, go ahead. Tell me a phrase that's hard to do in that verse. Well, maybe another one, too. Yes, fret not is really hard. Wait patiently. Oh, how many of us like to do that? We might wait, but not patiently. We're tapping our foot. Psalm 130, verse 5. See, this tells us what to do, but then it says we need to trust his word and trust him. We all know this, but do you know how many verses? This is just a few. How many verses there are in scripture that tell us we have to wait? Isaiah forty thirty one, and you're familiar with this one. You could probably sing it. They that wait 
will renew their strength. Yep. Lamentations 3.26. Excellent. You know, some of us wait, but not too quietly. <laughs> so we can see that there's strength and assurance for those who who wait and trust. And we talked about this in a small group we were in, or somebody talked about it. Time has a way of of sifting values. Circumstances can change. Um, our objectives can change. All, they can be altered. So what we think is so important to make a decision right now, maybe next week this time, it'll look a little different. You know, the, there might have been circumstances that changed by then. Uh, we may have other information that makes it a different decision. There's There's some purposes in waiting. So, um, how long did these people have to wait for an answer in, in 42? Ten days. And I think, if I remember the story right, didn't they already make a decision in those ten days before the Lord answered Jeremiah? Isn't that right? They already were on their way. And, you know, there are some things in Scripture I want to know the answer to, and I don't. They took Jeremiah with him. Don't you wonder whatever happened to Jeremiah? I want to know. We never hear the, you know, Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. We never hear the rest of the story. I want to know what happened to Jeremiah. He had a tough life. Did you know that? Man, his whole life was really tough. And I want to know the ending. Yeah, I know he's with the Lord, but I want to know the ending. (laughs) Okay, and the third thing is a willingness to obey. And we already hammered that one home. And we need to accept the will of God before we know it. We need to accept the will of God before we know it. And, you know, I think that's what's hard because all of us in our human nature, when we want to ask God for his GPS for us, we'll say, would you show me the way and then I'll decide if I have a better way. I'm sure I have a shortcut. I know which turn to make that I'd get there quicker or sooner. it's too tempting, isn't it? So can I have you read the 4216 again, uh, Jordan? Did you have that one? Kind of. So the very things that they were worried about if they stayed in Judea, 
was what was going to happen to him down there. And if you read the chapters after, the chapter after 42 and the chapter before 42, it's just, that's one, like I told you, one of the saddest stories. Because after they disobeyed and went to Egypt, it's like their hearts got more hardened more hardened and the next chapter talks about how they didn't want anything to do with God and they blamed him for all the bad stuff and they decided their life was better if they burned incense to the queen of heaven and you all know people that are like that they give up on God and they're going to do their own thing but look back at Jeremiah's these chapters and you get principles from it so one of the quotes that I I like, um, well, no, we had another verse, Isaiah one nineteen. Yeah, see, if we obey what the Lord wants, he will take care of us, and we will have what we need. But we have to trust him for his promises first. And... Um, I don't know where this quote came from, but it said, The promise of God trumps the problems of life. Are you so certain of God's person and God's promise that you will do what God commands and leave the results to him? Do you get that? You'll do what he commands and leave the results to him. So, the promise of God will always trump the problems of life. That's something to think about. Those of you who like to play Rook, remember you have Trump. <laughs> the promise of God trumps the problems of life. You know, a lot of the times we think our problems are so huge that no promise of God is going to take care of it but we need to obey and trust the results to him and we don't always see the results that's what's hard we'll go back to hebrews 11 and as we go through some of that a lot of those men and women never saw what god promised them I mean, God fulfilled his promise, but not in their lifetime. That's what's hard when you don't see the visible. But that's what faith is, seeing the invisible and believing it as though it happened. I wanted to just mention as kind of a summary thing of of uh, finding God's plan or GPS it's kind of like landing also an airplane on an airstrip, especially I'm talking of a bush airstrip. <laughs> Think about what all has to happen. You don't, you don't have just to find the airstrip. I remember one time uh, flying with our mission pilot this many years ago, uh, flying from Anchorage to Glen Allen, and it was at night, and it was a beautiful night, but when we got closer to Glen Allen, the fog and from the river probably totally obliterated the airstrip. So he attempted to come in with instruments, and he would 
get down low enough to be able to see the airstrip to land. <laughs> but when he got down that low, there was no airstrip. That's scary. And we did that about three times. And finally he says, we, we got to, you know, pull up and, and go to Chistachina where we had to land on a bush airstrip that we could see. And um, so, you know, when you're landing an airplane, you you can't just land it if you don't have the instruments or see the the runway. But you also need, if you can't see the runway, you got to have the the instruments to tell you for sure where you are. You have to have lights. Um, you have to have um, well, a pilot that knows what's what he's doing. You know, there's all these things that have to add up or you can't land the the plane safely. And that's the same way as you can't make a decision based on one aspect of these tools that we were talking about. You know, you want the, the Word of God, prayer, the Holy Spirit, other believers who confirm your... You know, what What if you make a decision, now uh, Now you have to be careful with this because this doesn't trump everything, but what if the decision you're making, the feedback you get is all, you really shouldn't do that. You know, that's against what scripture says. You need to put your antennas up and say, hmm, I better back off a minute and see why. Um and you have to have that inner peace and con- and conscience. Like I said, the conscience is not the one that you can say, well, I feel like I should do it. You know what I mean? But it is a guide. If you feel uneasy and you're not at peace about it, that that's a warning sign. So they all need to add together to land your airplane. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's kind of... A, I wish it was an easier process. <laughs> so um, let's return to Hebrews 11. And we, we're we not going to do the whole chapter. Don't worry, we're almost done. But I just wanted to point out, like I've been saying, is as you think about faith and and God's GPS, it's amazing how this chapter will bring out things to your mind as you see examples of how God worked in these men and women of faith to show them the path to go, and we can learn from that. And later in in Hebrews 13, it says about imitating their faith. We are called to imitate the faith of faithful people. Not to imitate their practices, not to imitate their traditions. You know, don't imitate what they do. Imitate their faith. It's their faith in the person and the promises of God that should impact us. So I said this before, and faith is seeing the invisible, believing the incredible, and receiving the impossible. And that comes from the examples in Hebrews 11, and we won't take the time to go through each of those. We talked about the na- the fixed point, you know, Jesus Christ. We talked about navigational tools. We talked about uh, the navigational skills. 
And these skills need to be habits that are so internalized that they become second nature. And you say, what are you talking about? Well, think about it. When when you learn to, when you're driving, or if any of you are pilots, I'm not a pilot, you learn how to do some things that will come as second nature. Because when you're in a, a crisis, you don't have time to go, oh, what's the manual say? A good example of this is, I haven't seen it yet, but I want to. That movie, is it Solly, Solly, Solly? Huh? Solly. Have some of you seen it? Just one person, a couple. Yeah. How many minutes did he have to land that plane on the Hudson River? It was like two or three. He didn't have time to say, no, wait a minute. What was back in that you know, manual that said, when this happens, this is what I do. He had internalized, I mean, it was amazing. It was such an internalized habits that got him down and was able to save, what, 150 lives. He didn't lose a one. And, pardon? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, I got to see that movie. <laughs> But but that's what the Lord wants for us is that we take these tools and the skills so seriously that when the testing comes and the trials and the hard times, it isn't that we don't think and it isn't that we don't cry out to the Lord and, you know, seek his wisdom and direction, but we have that internalized all those things where it kind of comes to us. You know, you can't recall verses that you don't know. I mean, I guess you could. I mean, anything's impossible with God. But, you know, but during those times, I'm sure you've been in it, where all of a sudden you don't know where it came from, but that verse comes back to you or that thought or that whatever. You know, it's the prayer. Whatever you develop below the waterline, you remember that spiritual ballast. And... um you know, we want to be able to land our plane safely when the Lord calls us home. I mean, we're, you know, we're going to make it safely to heaven, but we want to be able to have him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, you know, instead of, wow, you kind of came in here on a banana peel, you know. (laughs) So then um, the next quote, is what you believe and know about God will determine how much you trust him. And you say, oh, yeah, 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 I know that. But think about people you know, as soon as bad things happen to them or to others, they say, well, I thought God was good. I thought God was just. Do you know what I mean? They don't believe God is who he is anymore because he didn't act like they wanted him to. And George Mueller said, is George Mueller the next one? Yes. No one ever knew Jehovah without being able to exercise faith in him. It is when God is not known that difficulty comes. The great point, therefore, is to acquaint ourselves with God, to know God as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. And those of you that know about George Mueller, it was amazing, wasn't it, how God... 
I mean, I don't have that kind of faith, but how he provided for all those orphans and, you know, everything he did. The other thing that determines our choices is the knowledge of our final destination. And I already talked about that many times during these sessions. And we see that over and over again in Hebrews 11. The reason Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Noah. I mean, think about Noah. He never saw rain. Do you realize that? He had never seen rain prior to when the flood was. I mean, how would you have faith to build that huge ark? And you're like, what are you, what are you talking about, God? How are you going to do this? But, you know, it says in Hebrews, he believed what he had never seen, and God was going to do it. Has anybody seen the ark yet? That was that was a bunny trail. But, you know, there's the ark to be seen. <laughs> I didn't see it either. So the question that we asked before and we need to ask again, are you living in light of eternity? Or are the present circumstances causing you to follow your own GPS? I mean, circumstances can become so overwhelming, we can't even begin to think about God's GPS. It's like, if I can survive the next minute or the next hour, I'm doing good. But see, we can survive the next hour or minute if we see it in light of eternity rather than only see what's in front of our nose. And... I will let you, or should I read? I ought to have somebody else read it. I'm tired of talking. Who has a good voice? Okay, but they want backed up. That's okay. Okay, somebody with a good loud voice, read the next one. Go ahead. The phrase that hit me was that feeling a need that we are sure must be met. I mean, we just know that need needs to be met. So we got to do what it takes to meet it. You never met anybody like that. You were never like that either, were you? So... The answer is, one of the answers is cling hard to his promises, obey quickly his commands, and rely constantly on his power. There's just no other easy answer. We have to cling to him. And it's old hat, but we have to obey quickly. Those of you that raise kids... 
how many of you want your kids to, when you say, come, you want them to respond right away? Because sometimes there might be danger that you don't have time to explain, this is why I want you to come. You know, I, I think of hearing missionary stories where, you know, maybe a kid was under a tree and the mom saw a poison snake hanging above him, you know, that was going to drop. And that kid needed to come immediately or they could be attacked. You know, there you could give all kinds of examples. And so sometimes when he commands us to do something, we... We may not understand it. Remember, Moses didn't obey because he understood. He obeyed because he believed. And if you don't carry anything else away from today or yesterday, maybe we can grow in that area, you know, to to be obedient to his promises. And the choices we make in the harbor determine the success we experience in heavy weather. Like, it's pretty easy sitting here, To say, oh, yeah, that sounds good. That's what I'll do. But then when the tests come and the trials come, yeah, it's a little different. So we go back to that verse in Chronicles. You remember? It says, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to fix my eyes on you. And we have to fix our eyes on the North Star, Jesus Christ. That's not new, but we still forget it. And uh, one of the the promises that I like, it's often used as a benediction, and I think it'd be good for us to to read it. Um, What do most people have in their versions today? The ESV? Yeah. Um, Look up Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. And um, Karen, why don't you lead the the group that has the ESV and read those verses, Hebrews thirteen twenty to twenty one. Now wait, they're not with you. Oh, it's up there. Oh, but it probably is not an ESV. You say it is or isn't. Okay, let's all read it together then. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them the promise that's in there about finding God's GPS. Not only finding it, what's he going to do with it? I don't hear much. 
<laughs> they're thinking. Isn't that good? You know, what I think is reassuring, he doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to make it like a, a really hard game for you to find out what I want you to do. And then you're going to have to really, really work at it. Now, you're going to have to work. But, you know, when he tells us that he wants us to do something, what's he do? He equips us. He gives us the power. He gives us the tools. He gives us what we need to do it. Isn't that wonderful? Do we realize it? Do I realize it? So my final question to you is, will you use the everlasting navigational tools and learn the navigational skills and develop navigational seaworthiness a character that's able to handle rapidly changing conditions. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But that's what we were talking about. So thank you for sticking with us. Oh, No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. Well, thank you. Uh, I I appreciated being here, and I enjoyed being able to talk with uh, a lot of you, uh, the ones that I've had a chance to visit with. And actually, even though it was hard for me, I have to admit it probably was a good discipline because, you know, you know that for yourself. When you teach and study, you get way more out of it than, you know, probably you did. But I learned a lot. <laughs> yes, for banana cream pie without sugar. <laughs> yes, you you are welcome to stop if you come through Glen Allen. We have a guest room. Yes. 